Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 52, for the love of the game, hosted by Aaron Tobin Hess and uh, Overtime Media. Let's cook. everybody episode 52 for the love of the game what is good so we got a little bit of a lull in the sports calendar right now nfl and college football are close but not quite here yet even though uh the first episode of hard knocks aired we're still not quite there yet nba has no real news i mean we're monitoring the situation with usa basketball for the fiba tournament but really not so much to get into right now so really it's just baseball at the moment which we'll get into shortly but first i have some business to take care of a little bit of an announcement so this little hobby of mine my passion project that i started when i was at a job i hated and I had just gotten out of a shitty relationship, and I needed something to be excited about. And that's how this show came to be. Well, this show is moving to overtime media. That's right. I am joining a podcast network because the show is growing. And now it's time to take this even higher. As uh, a famous street poet, T.I., once said, That's right. Big shit poppin' and little shit stopping. So uh, I can't thank the guys over at Overtime enough for the platform and opportunity that they're giving me, but even more so, uh, I really need to thank the fans, um, the listeners and subscribers. None of this is possible without you guys. So thank you all and expect even more from me on uh, different platforms, more content, more regularly now going forward. All right, so before we get into some baseball stuff and recap the trade deadline a bit while uh, dancing on the grave of the Boston Red Sox 2019 season, which you just hate to see, there was a piece of news that set Twitter ablaze, which really isn't surprising, and naturally I have some thoughts. And normally this isn't the type of stuff I like to talk about because uh, it highlights a bigger societal issue, but it needs to be discussed. So earlier this week, the NCAA and it's unclear how involved the NBA was in this rule, Uh, they made a rule that agents 
to be certified as agents need to have a bachelor's degree uh, in order to be accredited agents. This was seen by many as a direct shot at Rich Paul, LeBron James's agent who heads up Clutch Sports, which under the which is now been purchased by United Talent Agency and is under their umbrella. Rich Paul doesn't have a bachelor's degree yet reps many big-time players such as Draymond Green, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, and, of course, LeBron. So naturally, LeBron is mad, uh, just like many people are mad, and are chiming in and claiming that this rule is trying to limit Rich Paul's business, or even further, that it's racist against black men trying to make it. It's important to note that Rich Paul, while being super successful, isn't necessarily loved by the NBA community, given all the stuff that went down with Anthony Davis this past year, but... I don't think that has anything to do with this rule. So, so here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read the statement that was issued by the NCAA. Now, keep in mind that I've ragged on the NCAA numerous times for stuff. They are not a perfect organization by any means, but I don't think they're so off base here. And he, here's the statement. I'm going to read it. This is coming from ESPN.com. Although some can have and have been successful without a college degree, as a higher education organization, the NCAA values a college education continues to emphasize the importance of earning a degree. We, are, we were guided by recommendations from the Commission of College Basketball, which spoke with the agent and advisor community that the NCAA certification process should be more stringent than the current process. Okay, so that statement acknowledges that there are exceptions to the rule. Rich Paul is obviously one of them. But this is ultimately to protect the athletes, most of whom are black. I will repeat, Rich Paul is under the United Talent Agency umbrella at the moment. So he has plenty of people working with him at Clutch who have college degrees. Rich Paul got his clients a total of close to $500 million this offseason. This rule isn't about Rich Paul. It's about other shady characters and family members, like the local guy at the barbershop who turns an agent that ultimately screws many athletes out of millions of dollars. Rich Paul not having a degree isn't going to hurt Clutch one bit. As Jeff Goodman wrote on Twitter, and he spoke to an NBA guy on the new NCAA rule, and he says, the Rich Paul stuff is silliness. He reps one or two guys per draft and has lawyers working for him. They are trying to protect kids from all the other clowns. You should see the runner, workout guy, uncle types we get. This isn't about Rich Paul. But, of course, the outraged police, which LeBron James is a part of, can't see past the surface and immediately thinks that's targeting his boy, Rich Paul, because Rich Paul is a successful black man with an unorthodox background. Even if you don't like Rich Paul and how he does his business, this isn't a Rich Paul rule. It's just not. And then you have the social justice warriors claiming that it's a racist rule, because of course they would. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. If there was a white or Asian version of Rich Paul who had the same background, same educational level, would he, it be considered a race issue? The answer is no, it would not. And... Is there anything preventing black men, including Rich Paul, from getting a degree if he wanted to? 
Now, I don't think Rich Paul needs a degree to be successful, as he's shown, but is there anything preventing him from doing so? No, there isn't. But yet, many immediately default to making things about race, and that's just wrong. And honestly, anyone who cries racism immediately is even more racist because the color of someone's skin is the first thing they think of. It's wrong and it needs to stop because it cheapens the actual real race issues that this country still faces. And by the way, we've come a long way in that department with still some work to do. This is just some hypocritical bullshit that I can't stand for. Not everything in sports is a race issue. I'll leave you with this before moving on. Uh, Here's a clip from Jason Whitlock on his show on FS1, who, by the way, is a black sports writer. Called Rich Paul Rule to explain how Twitter is the newspaper for ultra-rich celebrities and their billionaire handlers. The app that has allegedly democratized and equalized American discourse has done no such thing. It has devalued actual journalism and enhanced the power of the elite to control narrative. Yesterday, the NCAA passed a handful of stipulations regarding agent representation for its college basketball players. The rule modifications indicate the NCAA's growing frustration with its fecklessness and lack of control of its cash cows, men's football and basketball. One of its new stipulations is that college basketball players looking to test the NBA draft must be represented by an agent with a college degree. The rule is pointless. It's a futile attempt to stop borderline G League players from leaving mid-major colleges based on the bad advice of a barbershop owner turned AAU coach turned side hustle NBA agent. Virtually all NCAA rules regarding men's football and basketball are predicated on the point of view of liberal school presidents who believe black men are incapable of making rational decisions. That's why the NCAA rules dictating professional decisions of hockey and baseball players are so vastly different from football and basketball. But let me return to my main point. Yesterday's rule changes are pointless and relatively harmless. They were not enacted to damage LeBron James' protege, Rich Paul's business. LeBron James created that narrative on Twitter with a series of tweets including this. Can't stop, won't stop, they big mad and scared. Nothing will stop this movement and culture over here. Sorry, not sorry. LeBron's 50 million plus social media sheep amplified the false narrative across all platforms. The mainstream media, which is addicted to Twitter traction, swallowed and regurgitated the false narrative. Within hours, ESPN.com's front page reported LeBron's response to the NCAA. LeBron, a celebrity elite, framed and dictated the NCAA news. Rich Paul, is the most powerful agent in basketball. He built his business on the back of the bluest of blue-chip basketball stock, LeBron James. Rich Paul has little to no interest in the type of players who test the NBA draft. Those are borderline prospects who don't commit fully to the NBA because there's a damn good chance they won't get drafted. Rich Paul chases lottery picks and other first-rounders. This new NCAA rule will have no impact on his business. But thanks to Twitter, it has enhanced Paul's brand as a disruptor and revolutionary force. LeBron created the false narrative that Paul's agency is so black, so dangerous, so woke, that the NCAA is creating rules to stop the Nat Turner of sports agents. The struggle's real, y'all. It's a crock of poop. Rich Paul is a power elite. When your boutique agency gets purchased 
for $300 million by United Talent Agency and your top client is worth a half billion dollars, you're officially a part of the establishment. You're not fighting the power, you are the power. And the power uses social media to build itself as something that's not a voice for the power. Preach, Whitlock, preach. Uh, yeah, so everybody else, don't buy this woke bullshit anymore. Just don't. Like, it's so silly. Now that that rant is over and it's off my chest, on to baseball. So right after episode 51, the Yankees didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. Didn't do anything, much to my chagrin. And then they proceeded to sweep the Boston Red Sox in four games, basically ending their season. And then they destroyed the Orioles, hitting an insane amount of home runs and scoring an insane amount of runs. Uh, right now, at the current time of recording, they're up 8-3 again on the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they currently have the best record in baseball. Mike Talkman, who's a fifth outfielder to start the year, statistically has been the best hitter in baseball since June. It's really insane. Gio Urshela is crazy hot right now. They've had guys miss time with various injuries. DJ LeMay, who missed a couple of games. Gary Sanchez has been out. Luke Boyd has been out. Aaron Judge has missed time. Stanton, Aaron Hicks, the list goes on, but it doesn't matter. The train keeps rolling. And guess what? I'm still very mad at the New York Yankees at the moment. Why, you ask? They have the best record in baseball. They seem to be a wagon. What could possibly bother you? Well, because they didn't do anything to help their pitching, which if you've seen the scores recently, they clearly need. And the Houston Astros, who's right behind them in terms of the, the cream of the crop in the American League and in baseball, well, they added Zach Greinke, uh, who's awesome. I can't understand why Brian Cashman didn't make a move at the, uh, at the trade deadline. Here's the situation, and I'm so tired of general managers who are, like, super smart and, and you know, and they value prospects to a point. Like, at a certain point, a, you know, a known commodity is better than something that's unknown. And for this Yankee team that has, you know, rich in depth in the outfield, they have this guy Garcia in the minors who's supposedly like a monster prospect. For them not to package a Clint Frazier who every day is raking in the minors, but every day he's in the minors and not playing Major League Baseball and getting Major League at-bats, he's losing value. And not to try and package those two guys to get a pitcher which could easily make you the favorite for the World Series is crazy to me. You have a chance to win the whole damn thing. It's time to push your chips into the middle and go for it. Look at the Boston Celtics, for example, right? And I think I brought this up last week, and I'm going to harp on it again. They had this bevy of assets. They were keeping their gunpowder dry, and they didn't pull the trigger, and look what happened. The landscape changes, and they end up with Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum to show for it. They could have had Kawhi Leonard, they could have had Paul George, but they chose to keep their powder dry and wait. When you have an opportunity to win, seize the opportunity and go all in. If you pay 150 cents on the dollar at the trade deadline, so be it. No one is going to fault you for going all in when you have the ability to win. No one's going to fault you to do that. Because you went for it. And you look at what Marcus Stroman went for by the trade deadline. That was the guy they should have gone after. 
because it was reported that the Mets were willing to flip him for Garcia and another guy, and I don't understand why the Yankees just didn't do it. It makes absolutely no sense to me. But anyway, we're going to continue this um, this conversation uh, with two special guests coming up. We're going to recap the trade deadline in totality uh, in just one minute. Okay, so we're back. Two recurring guests, special guests, my baseball crew, uh, Mr. Phil Bausk, Mr. Moshe Cook. What's going on, gents? <laughs> Not too much. Uh, how are you? All is... I don't know that was such a funny intro. I thought I was done pretty well, to be honest. I don't know. What I well, well, because neither I think neither of us said hello, waiting for the other one to say hello. Well, I was going to defer. It's more of a power move. I'll the other person go first. I see. Well, in the spirit of that, we'll let Phil will go first in terms of our list of topics for um, recapping the baseball trade deadline. First of all, we want to wish you a, uh, a condolences on your Red Sox season. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I don't say the season's over yet. It's a little. Um, I like seeing Yankee fans get really confident after their first, you know, better season than the Red Sox on the chance they might could make, maybe could win a World Series for the first time in a few years. But it's okay. You know, I'm doing just fine. So let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, the Yankees about a week and a half ago went to Boston, lost three or four, and their pitching got shelled. So how shocked were you when the Yankees came back and swept them four games this past weekend? I mean, just in terms of like a surprise. I mean, I wasn't shocked at all. They're a very evenly matched team, so I thought it's going to be. I mean, you, you look at the two games, two series combined. The Red Sox go three and. Three and four, three and five in those eight games. That sounds about right. I mean, they're not playing up to their potential. They're, I mean, Rick Porcello has had a month to forget. Chris Sale is all over the place. David Price hasn't been good against the Yankees consistently his whole career. It didn't. It was more, more surprised they won the first three so convincingly from the Yankees the first series. To be honest, Price also just went on DL, so he's been. Yeah, it's not it's it's not looking good for them. Um, even in even in the wild card standings, what are they like six and a half back at the at current? Uh, yeah, they're about six games back in the last column, maybe seven. But they play the race three more times. They, I, I thought they're not going to make the playoffs. But crazier things have happened. I recall a New York team blowing a division lead about a decade ago um, in September. Right. The Phillies. I'm not sure who it was, but uh, like crazy stuff like that happens. But it's more unnecessary. So, <laughs> Moshe, he's just, he's he's just he's in a dark place right now with the Red Sox. He's just no. Like, I asked him. I asked him this week if he like if he cared a little less because they won the World Series last year. Like it, it probably softens the blow. It should. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, they've won. To be honest, they've won a lot. Um, when you go into your pu- uh, puberty years, not expecting them to win anything, and then you come out with four World Series, including a. 3-0 comeback against the Yankees and another series win against the Yankees. It's hard to get so upset. Also because they're, and also what me and Moshe talked about earlier this week, is they're a team that's always going to be in it. I mean, they have the young hitting. The worry, my worry about their team is they don't really have a frontline starter potential waiting in the minor leagues. Um, and their, their pitchers are generally on the older side in terms of time in the league and being in their 30s. So that worries me a little bit, but again, Russia brought up a good point. They can go out and sign Garrett Cole this offseason or someone like that or someone like that in two years. And oh, the guy, just one of the guys now. the Yankees should have traded for, but instead traded for Sonny Gray, which didn't work out. Uh, you talk about their pitching for a second. Uh, wanted to talk about Chris Sale. So Chris Sale was a monster last year, and he's been a monster his entire career. And this is like really the first year he hasn't been good. 
like at all. And the Yankees have crushed him this year. I mean, I think he he re-signed an extension. What was it? This past off season. It was this past off season. Yes. So so, how nervous are you about Chris Sale going forward? Do you think this is just an aberration, or do you think this is uh, really worrisome in terms of a uh, a long term contract? I'm not. I'm not worried at all. I mean, you look at his numbers after the first month of the year, and they're they're really good. Like uh, at some point, I had looked him up and done his last ten or twelve starts, and they're better than what his numbers were overall last year. Um, so I'm not over the course of um, unless he gets hurt, unless someone says I'm actually I'm, he says I'm actually hurt. I need surgery. I'm not concerned about his future. I'm probably worried about the back end of the contract, but that's what you're going to get with any nature of a longer extension yeah. to a pitcher in their either late 20s or 30s, which is why the David Price deal, a lot of people ragged on it to start with, but the guy's been really consistent and frontline starter since he, since he came over, and he doesn't seem to be getting any worse. So the deal, obviously, it's not, it's not what some teams want to spend on starting pitching, but I, I can't say it was, it's as bad as people expected it to be after year one. Yeah, I... I... It's weird because, honestly, going into the year, I was really, as a Yankee fan, really scared of the Red Sox. I still think, for some reason, that their lineup, one through nine, is better than the Houston Astros. Um, I mean, between, you know, Betts, Martinez, Benatende kills the Yankees, Bogarts. I mean, they, they just have such a deep lineup that before the trade deadline, I was still, you know, extremely fearful of, of the Red Sox if they got into the postseason, um, going into a seven game series. But the fact that it, it seems like the starting pitching and the, and the relief pitching also, which has just been atrocious. Like it just looks like they're running on fumes. Yeah. The, the relief pitching has been a big problem this year. They didn't address it this off season, but address it at the trade deadline. Um, uh, it was definitely a problem going into the year, but their team, the lineup has, has not performed as well as expected, though it's been very good. And their bench has actually been a lot worse this year than it has been in previous years. They have Chavez, but um, you know he's basically a star at this point. And actually, their defense isn't as good as it was last year. Bradley went from being like the number three-ranked center fielder to 14. Um, and they have kind of drops like that across the board, with the exception of Betts. So it's a perfect, it was more of a perfect storm for them to be bad. And we say bad, they're going to finish 10, 10 to 15 games over 500. It's a perfect storm for that to happen this year, and they're like they're going to be back next year. I just, as long as the Yankees don't win the World Series this year, I'm I'm okay. Uh, you meant you mentioned the trade deadline, um, and and not improving the relief uh, pitching at the trade deadline. Uh, Moshe, um, what surprised you most about the trade deadline? What was your favorite move of the trade deadline? What was your worst move of the trade deadline? And then Phil, you can go towards. Uh, I mean, my favorite move. Is I think just the two trades that the Astros made. So obviously you had the big one in Granky, and then you kind of had the more under the radar one when they get got Bignon, uh, How do you how do you pronounce his name? The reliever, Phil. The Blue Jays reliever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to say that name, but they got they, <laughs> they got Bianni or whatever his name is, and Aaron Sanchez. And Sanchez in his first start went six no hit innings. The Astros are just they understand how to have these pitchers with these insane spin rates on their curveballs, And I immediately picked up Sanchez and fantasy because you just have, you know, it's the kind of situation where you thought if Wheeler was going to go there, they were just going to turn him into a stud. And that's probably why the Mets didn't want to trade him there. But I think those two moves already, I think they're the best team in the American league. And when you couple that with the Yankees, not making a move for a starter. So now you're looking at a series where you got 
Verlander, Cole, Granke, and, and Wade Miley, who's been excellent this year, and Sanchez, who, I mean, we'll see what he does the rest of the season, but I love what uh, Houston did. I would say the worst move is the Yankees not making a move. Um, we can get into that. Uh, the Much weirdest moves... Much to my chagrin. The, the weirdest moves... Um, I, I, mm. were the I think I know where you're going with this one. Mets trading for Stroman and the Reds <laughs> trading for Bauer was just bizarre. I mean, look, the Mets have been 13-1 in the last 14 games, and they're in a position with Stroman to go on one of those stupid runs to the end of the season and maybe win the wild card and get into the playoffs, and then they have a great rotation. But I think the Mets, they're just they're flying by the seat of their pants, and since their ownership doesn't really spend money uh, to sign big guys, and they're not going to be played to sign a Garrett Cole this offseason, and they don't want to actually do a real rebuild. They just make these moves on the fly that sort of put them in contention, but really they're not that good. So it's just it's just a head-scratcher, and the same thing with you know the, Ray, the Reds trading for Bauer. I mean, I think he's made it pretty clear that he's not going to be signing any long-term deals anywhere. I know, Phil, you were a little higher on on the red on the bauer move just because he felt that they got their ace and and they have a prospect who could come up next year and be really good um but yeah it was it was like a it was kind of a weird a weird trade deadline yeah i mean I'll, I'll just uh go off that like the bauer trade for the reds they've got the red team for the last dear god i don't know how many years but they haven't had good starting pitching Probably since who do you think the best starting pitcher of the last fifteen years is Bronson Arroyo? That's not really great. Yeah, it's honestly you know. probably something like that. <laughs> right. So you throw in Bauer. You, you're gonna if they overpay him, I think you could end up staying. But who knows? He's kind of a crazy person. I mean, and I have so Bauer. I support, I support mental health in all avenues. Um, Gray has been good for them. Yeah, and uh, Gray has been very good, and they have they, uh, Luis Castillo is phenomenal. And then yeah, Castillo. You can. And then the fat Hunter Green is supposed to be a can't-miss prospect. So if they could manage to keep Bauer and they gave up one of their top outfield prospects, they're loaded with hitters. They don't really need any hitters um, at this point. They could probably use a little bit of better fielding and some bullpen arms, but they're still going almost every team in the major league. So to, to show up the rotation, it wasn't my favorite move of the deadline, but I think it was a good move in the sense that they're kind of, their team, you know, if you look at, like, Small market teams, they may kind of have to take a swing at times, and and they they're doing that. But no pun intended, even though it's for a pitcher and not a hitter. Um, I like what they did in terms of my favorite moves of the trade deadline. I really loved the combo moves: the Twins trading for two relievers. Um, they well, and of course I'm blanking on the second reliever right now, but they traded for Romo, uh, Sergio Romo, not Tony, uh, which would have made us and, both very and happy. And Sam Dyson. And Sam Dyson, and then you, you, you throw into that with Rodgers and Mays, two younger guys or less experienced guys. When it comes to the postseason, you're going to need at least a guy like Romo to show up the back of that bullpen because they're going to be playing in tight games, and they have they're still, I think, one of the more overlooked teams in the league based on what they can throw out in a playoff series. Uh, you have a guy like Barrios who's phenomenal and can start match up with almost any really top line pitcher in the maybe tier below, but then also Gibson and. You need you need guys behind them to to fill those innings, but they didn't really have that before. I couldn't have named you know more than three guys in their bullpen. Now I could name well four because I couldn't name Dyson after I said he got traded for him. But well, I could name five. Uh, my least favorite move of the deadline. Um, it's actually uh, somewhat interesting, but I thought the Nationals and the bullpen arms they got, and that's a team 
whose bullpen has pitched better in recent months. They got Strickland uh, and another lesser arm, and, and they gave up mid-level prospects for Strickland. And that's not something they really need to do in terms of the na- you look at the National League. The National League is so much worse than the American League. But I think the Nationals, as is, could have just gotten I, to where they need to be. I think the top teams in the American League are better, but there are far more really, really bad teams in the American League. Yeah, I was going to say, the National uh, League seems to be deeper. It doesn't seem to be as top-heavy, um, but it's They deeper. play each other. <laughs> they do play each other, but there's no... The Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Royals, the Tigers, the, the Mariners, Mariners are, are pathetic But how much teams. better are the Mets really than the Blue Jays? Significantly better. I mean, significantly mm. better by record and by talent. I mean, the Blue Jays Sounds will be like really good. They have some very good talent. <laughs> you talked about uh, bullpen moves. I thought the Braves made a couple of moves. They got um, Shane Green and Melanson and, and, Melanson, yeah. and Chris Martin. Um, so they got a lot of help at the back of their bullpen. I'm always uh, a fan so, of getting bullpen arms at the deadline. I always think that's probably the most, as long as you don't overpay for it, it's yeah, probably the most, like the like the Brewers overpaid for Drew Pomerant. That's probably a mistake, and that they're probably not. You know, if they get to the World Series on the on the back of Drew Pomerant's shouldering loan the bullpen, call me, call me whatever you'd like, I and mean, call me by my name, as I say. Oh, <laughs> nailed it. Um, so yeah, um, my um the guy I, who I spoke to last week, uh, Jonathan, was talking about the Yankees going after just a reliever. You know, and just playing the uh, the relief game, you know, get through four or five innings and then because they already have the best bullpen in baseball, just continuing to go that route. He brought up that, which I thought was interesting. Um, I mean, I personally think that, you know, the worst move was them just not doing anything. And I'll, I'll I ranted on that before and I'll, I'll continue to do so. And the best move, I mean, I, I really think it was just the Astros getting grinky. Like when you're in a position to win. Like, sometimes you go all in and you pay 100 cents on the dollar at the trade deadline, which rarely happens, or sometimes you even overpay, but no one's going to fault you for going all in going all in and trying to win. No, well, I mean, they, up that much. they didn't even give up their best guys. They, they gave up Derek, you know, they gave up a couple of prospects. They gave Derek Fisher to the Blue Jays. That's probably why the Mets didn't want to trade Wheeler Houston, because they were just going to get Derek Fisher in someone for him. Yeah. Well, they gave Fisher <laughs> for in the Sanchez trade. Right, for Toronto, I'm saying. That's Which you would think that same... you, Wheeler could get a little bit more than Aaron Sanchez, but I just the Mets don't understand how the market works, and I think that they are perpetually afraid of getting ripped off, especially against well, teams that are just well, so we're much, get so into much the Met- smarter than them. We're going to get into the Mets in a second, but I did think that there was a really funny tweet that said the Mets don't want to trade to the Yankees and Astros because they're far more advanced analytically, which I, I thought like every Met fan was going to like jump off a bridge when that was tweeted. Well, it's, we're not going to jump off a bridge just because we know it's true. <laughs> and just the <laughs> fact that they admitted, you know, they didn't want to trade with the Astros. They don't want to trade with the Dodgers. They don't want to trade with the Yankees. And it's not like the annoying thing is why don't you just hire analytics people? If they would have hired Chaim Bloom instead of Brody to be the general manager, they would have had someone who understands baseball on that level. And they just decided not to do it. What was well, the oh. If Mets fans haven't jumped off a bridge by now, nothing's really going to push them over the edge this point. It's not a, probably it's, true. It's not a terrible point. What I thought was weird <laughs> on the Yankees' end, uh, and I guess in conjunction with the Mets, was you know the Yankees not trading for Stroman to begin with, um, because you know they got this guy Garcia, uh, who apparently is great. Um, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I'm not an expert on prospects, and they have Clint Frazier in the minors who continues to hit and continues to rake. He showed that he's an MLB 
you know, level hitter, but they're so deep and have so much money tied up in the outfield like that every day he's in the minors, like he loses value. So at a certain point, you just got to just push. And the the Stroman price, from what I understand, and Moshe, you can comment on this better than me, but like it didn't seem that high at all. So the rumor was that the Blue Jays asked for more from the Yankees and they ultimately did from the Mets. And which the Yankees makes sense. Unwilling. Yeah, it does, which, you know, my thought is it's been three years in a row now because they missed on Verlander, they missed on Cole, and now they missed again this year. And, you know, they might win the World Series. Their lineup is insanely good and their bullpen is insanely good, but you throw their starters up against the Astros starters and, it's not pretty. you know, even the Twins can, you know, the Yankees historically own the Twins in the playoffs, but the Twins match up pretty well too. Uh, if they don't win the World Series again, I mean, I saw, I don't know where it was on Twitter or it was somewhere else, but this idea that Cashman has owned so many trades and whether it was getting Aaron Hicks for uh, the uh, for Murphy, the catcher, or what he did to get Glaber Torres or the moves to get Andrew Miller and all those, and, you know, or trading Andrew Miller away, that he has owned teams so bad that now teams are afraid to trade with him because they don't want to themselves get ripped off. Well, I guess- um, but I do think the, the Yankees are, are getting a little, you know, holding on to these prospects when I don't think they really should be just go and try to win a world series. You know, it drives me crazy. I mean, Phil, we're going to, we're going to go cross sports here. You know, you, you're a, you're a Celtics fan, right? The Celtics, I am. That's true. The Celtics were sitting on a bevy of assets for years. Like Danny Ainge, after the, they traded with Brooklyn, they had this bevy of assets and they kept their powder dry for, you know, for the big move, right? They could have made a play for Kawhi Leonard, but didn't. You know, they could have made a play for Paul George, but they didn't. They were holding their powder drive for Anthony Davis and whatever. And sometimes the landscape just changes on you, and those opportunities aren't there. And now what are the Celtics left with? I mean, they're left with Jason Tatum to speak for it, and, you know, Kemba Walker signed a max contract there, which is which is fine, but, like, that's not what you expect when you have this bevy of assets. And it drives me crazy that these general managers who are, like, you know, considered to be, like, the smartest GMs in their respective sport. I mean, Danny Ainge is one of the, regarded as one of the three best GMs in basketball. Brian Cashman is regarded one of the three best GMs in baseball. But they value these prospects almost to a point where they overvalue them like crazy. It's like, if you have an opportunity to win, I don't understand why you don't just push. Well, the argument doesn't really stand in both sports. Baseball prospects are so much flimsier than than the basketball aspect. Yeah, of course, but but the... the concept is so the tell same. me this. Uh, well, let's say if you're Boston um, and you traded Jalen Brown, um, Memphis, Memphis, the, sorry, the Sacramento pick that turned into the eighth pick, but at the time, like eighth or ninth, tenth, whatever it was, that at the time was expected to be a top five pick and another asset for a year of Kawhi Leonard. Is that a good trade for Boston? If it nets you the title, it is. It doesn't, it, but you don't know that. Oh, you can't oh, just say that's going to happen. Okay, but and but I mean, this not trying to go off tangent again on the Celtics here, but they could have restructured the contracts coming up where it was just like they could have hit the reset button, kind of like Toronto did, and that's why Toronto did the deal. It just, I, I just hate it when you know we value these prospects more than established players. I also think the Yankees have a theory. If you look at the Yankees right now, they're deep because you have Gio Urshela hitting. Three something, three twenty-three, and slashing as the top five percent of the league. You have Mike Taufman as I think he hit a home run today at eleven. There's a lot of guys. Two, two today. 
And so you have a lot of guys playing a lot, a way over their head. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of guys playing over their heads, and organizational depth is always extremely important. So if you're the Yankees and you're looking at, oh, we get a year and a half of Stroman for this guy's career, you have to think how good is Stroman? How much are we going to be able to keep him? It's much, it's much easier to get a prospect if you have a long-term guarantee. It's, it's not crazy. And also, yeah, the Yankees have been very good trading away the prospects that don't pan out yes. and getting and keeping the guys who really are talented. I can think of like three Yankees catchers who they traded when we were younger and that guys barely cracked the major league. They just, they tend to know what they're doing when it comes to trading their prospects. So that they really think this Garcia guy is that good. I mean, I would kind of, I would believe in they're good enough to win without Stroman. So I, I, like, I don't think but if the Yankees get Stroman, I'm thinking the they're going to They thought the same of Justice Sheffield last year and then they traded him for Paxson. Like, and Pax is a good player. Yeah, but but from what they made it seem like, they, Sheffield had more value at the trade deadline. Well, it turns out that Sheffield has sucked this year, but like they didn't maximize the value of the piece. I would say the two the flip side to Phil's point about the the Yankees, their ability to turn these guys that you don't think are going to be good, and and then they come to New York and they're superstars like Luke Boyd and Rochelle and who knows those guys will remain to be that way, but they you know, do have this ability and they can also go out and spend money. You know, DJ LeMay who came here and he's been a stud. I think it's more looking at a move. Like should they have traded Andujar or, uh, or Torres or Florial uh, two years ago or a year ago to get a guy like Verlander or Syndergaard, if that was available. And, uh, and Torres is a great, great player, but they have, they're able to find offensive players everywhere. And the one thing the Yankees really haven't done in their history, and especially in our lifetime, is develop really good young starting pitching that's stuck around, um, which I, has always been interesting. So, you know, but they they can go out and sign Garrett Cole, although they've been unwilling to spend money over the last couple off seasons too. Two two core four guys are very mad at you, and Pettit and Rivera. They are not happy with you right now. Rivera is a closer. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I know. All right, so Moshe, I want to. We talked about the Yankees a little bit. It's time to talk about the Mets, the hottest team in baseball. Um, Before we start, Core 4, what a stupid nickname. Okay, keep going, sorry. <laughs> so, you you seem a little lukewarm on this Mets thing. Um, where, where are you really with the Mets? Uh, we can talk after the next six games. They play Atlanta and Washington. Um, I, you know... They beat they went they thirteen one in their last fourteen games and yes they beat some bad teams but you have to beat bad teams to get back into it. Um, they have three of the best young hitters in the National League and McNeil and Alonzo and Corey are up there with a lot of the rest of the league. So they have three studs in the lineup. The problem is you know Cano was just getting hot and then he got hurt and their lineup basically ends after the five spot and their last couple guys in their lineup are really really pathetically bad. Uh, but they have really good pitching, so I don't think they're going to catch the Braves. I think the Braves are really, really good. I think that they could make a run at the wild card, um, so it'll be an interesting finish. But then, you know, this seems to happen year after year where the Mets like do just enough to be interesting, and then the ownership uses that as an excuse to not really invest in making the team a lot better going into next year. Um, so the Mets are just, they're just being the Mets and doing their weird thing, and we'll see what happens. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs in the end, 
but at least it'll be an interesting rest of the summer. I don't really know what to say about that. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a question for Moshe, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, would you prefer it? Because having some inside knowledge of the Mets, and there's a lot of, for lack of a better term, BS that comes out with almost everything they do. Would you prefer it if they kind of embraced the heel role and just became like evil? Like, let's say they hire Brody, and Jeff Wilpon gets on mic and he goes, "I hired him because I, I think he's I think he's cool and I know his uncle." Like, would you like that more, or do you prefer what they're doing now? I mean, if the end result is the same, I'd rather them just come out and say it. Okay. I think Good you know. Do, <laughs> do you have power over that? Can you call Jeff and? Uh... <sighs> I do have. Uh, yeah, never mind. I will, I will remain silent. Can, can, I, can I make the case for the Mets for a second? Sure. Sure. Go right ahead. So, their bullpen was like historically bad. Oh, I was going to say that the bullpen was atrociously, comically bad the first half of the season, and those numbers were starting to even out. So, so that okay. also does play in their favor. So that's one. Two. I mean, they've been in games with good teams. Like, they were in all those games with the Dodgers, and then Edwin Diaz, who was awesome last year, you know, just was, like, downright atrocious, right? You know, he had an atrocious Mm -hmm. stretch against the Phillies also. So if those numbers even out, and he, like, you know, becomes, you know, somewhat good again, like, I think, and this is going to sound crazy, but they could easily be the second most dangerous team in the National League. In the playoffs, I mean it's it's similar. It's similar to 2015. I hear what you're saying. If you get them into the playoffs, their starting rotation is as good as anybody's in the league, in the American and the National League. And you get to the playoffs, then you know. But in the playoffs, you don't have a good bullpen. Like who are you going to? Unless Diaz figures out a way to turn around. If Les Familia, who's been better, really turns it around, who are you trusting? You have Lugo, who's been great, and that's it. Um, but I'll take DeGrom and Syndergaard and Stroman and Wheeler against a lot of other guys. I mean, I, I think DeGrom's the best pitcher in the National League. Probably, like, I honestly think he's the best pitcher in the league, but whatever. That's just me. I think I'm in the minority here. It's either him or Verlander. Uh, Scherzer. Scherzer's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, he's pretty good, too. Yeah, for Ryu's been really also, good as well. Ryu's been good, but I don't think he's as good as DeGrom. He's really good this year. A little racist, but okay. I don't think he's good as good as Um I mean, Scherzer's hurt. He's probably going to miss at least two more starts, and he has. He's not even close to throwing off a mound again. It'll this series. They have a week three against the the Nationals, and and then three against Atlanta, and then you can really start seeing the next month. The Mets have there's really no let up in the schedule. They're just playing contender after contender. I think the best move they made was they uh, they sent Jason Vargas to the Phillies so he can lose some games for him. Vargas actually had a good stretch for them. Uh, yeah, fight the reporters. Vargas was uh, he was a perfectly adequate five starter uh, for the Mets, but he lost last night. So I mean, well, I'd rather have Mets so as my five starter than uh, yeah, well, than uh, than Vargas. I mean, Matt's has the pedigree, Vargas, has, the ta- yeah. has the talent to do it. He just hasn't put it together yet, but because of you know, injuries or whatever. So yeah. but I, I want to just close, you know, on this before I, I oh, nice. Um, before I, I wanted to ask you guys, because you guys are Cowboys fans, about the Ezekiel Elliott situation. So, but before we Phil, go. You're, you're, Phil, you're a Cowboys fan. Wait, 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 wait. What's going on with Ezekiel Elliott? 
All right. Stop playing dumb, Phil. Okay. But before we do that, um, uh, predictions for, for playoffs. Uh, Moshe, you say the Mets don't make it. Phil, what do you say? I agree. I don't think the Mets make it. I don't think they're very good. I love them because they're fun to they're fun to watch. I appreciate watching the pitchers. I just don't think, uh, you know, assuming the Braves win the East, the Nationals will make the playoffs. Um, I like think from the Central. Yeah, probably one of those Central teams. I still, I just don't have enough faith in the Mets. I, I can't really give a good reason why I don't think they'll win. Uh, other than I just don't think uh, there's still not a team that. Well, they have a couple of good hitters. They're not a scary lineup. They're still probably, you know, ten to fifteen in terms of top in the, in the league. Um, and I think pitchers. I, mean, I keep watching a lot of Alonso at bats, and it blows my mind how pitchers still pitch them. But that's a separate issue. Um, I don't think they'll make it. I think I think we'll see probably uh, one of those central teams, whether it's the Brewers or the Cardinals, um, or the what's, or the Cubs. Two of those three and. The Mets, will, the Mets will have a good year. They'll finish, you know, eight, with 85, 86 wins. And that's a bad thing because they're going to win 85 right. games. They'll get complacent. And we're going to go into next year that they're not really going to – and then they won't, oh, we won 85 games, and now we're going to get Cano back, and Cespedes is going to come back, and, and we're getting Lowry. Lowry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's the same stuff every year. And until they spend money or, or do something along those lines, nothing's going to really change. I, I'm yeah. going to – I guess I'll play devil's advocate, you know. Because I'm pulling for them. I think they're going to get there. I don't know. I just do. And maybe it's just me wishing for it because, uh, you know, the this, this city is more exciting when they're doing something good. So uh, I'm pulling for them. I say they make it. Phil, do the Red Sox have a run in them to make the wild card? They definitely have it in them. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen because of all the really good teams in the American League. Uh, like Cleveland's playing really well. Tampa's beyond solid. Even Texas is a, their Texas lineup is, they've been playing without Joey Gallo for the last two weeks. I mean, they're going to get him back in a couple of weeks. Um, Lance Lynn, apparently Lance Lynn's is been ridiculous. This year. Um, their insane. bullpen, even without Sean Kelly, who they get back, um, is really good. They're both uh, another run of them, but they'll probably fall short. If they make it great, but I don't, I, if, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, wink, which wink, you are, <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're going to make it. Moshe, what say you? On the Red Sox, uh, I I don't think they're going to make it either. Um, I just think, you know, Price is going to miss time, and the bullpen's bad, as we pointed out. And as the main thing is there's a lot of solid teams at the top of the American League that mm. I think, you know, six games is a lot to make up. Unless, I mean, I have a look at their schedule, Phil. Are they playing, like, the Ra- the uh, Blue Jays and the Orioles a whole bunch the rest of the season? They do in September, but they, they have to beat the Rays. Like, if they, don't, if they don't win at least, they, they might have to sweep the Rays to have a real shot. Um, yeah. Their last series against them, and they play the Yankees still, and they have a couple. Play Cleveland, they go to LA, they go to Colorado. Colorado's a solid team, and they have to go there. It's not so easy. Um, Who's their third so starter? Rod- Rodriguez. The Red Sox third starter is still Porcello. Yeah. Eduardo is Porcello. Fourth starter. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last. And base- then Cashner. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's been bad, Cashner. Um, last baseball question. Uh, World World Series uh, matchup. Uh, I got the Astros, uh, Astros, and the Braves. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little out there. So I'm gonna go Indians and Dodgers. Wow. I would be very surprised if the Dodgers didn't get out of the National League. I, I kind of that'd be a real disappointment for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm I just agree. picking against them. There are 
far and away the best team in the National League. You think the Indians have the starting pitching guns to to do that? They just traded Kluber, Bauer too. Kluber starts. Kluber starts pitching in about a week, so that's you know if he's healthy. That's a huge. That's the biggest acquisition at the deadline outside yeah. of Granky. Well, that that was the Yankees' logic with Severino and Betances, which I hated. But whatever, we're not going to go down that road again. I, I mean, uh, the, the, the Yankees, the Yankees don't need Betances to come. Like their bullpen is so unbelievably good, Betances would just be, you know, icing on top of the cake. Severino, I just don't understand banking on him because he comes back and is he going to be good? He hasn't put together a full season where he's actually been good and consistently good. Yeah. So who even knows what you get out of him if he comes back? I, this, and he wasn't very good in the playoffs either. This is why I'm really mad at them that they didn't get anybody. Uh, I think it's uh, Astros <laughs> Dodgers. I mean, yeah, that is, that's the easy money pick. I know. Well, I'm, real bold pick. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going chalk over here. Uh, we got about five minutes left, so I wanted to ask you uh, quickly about the uh, Ezekiel Elliott holdout. Besides for Jerry Jones being old and wanting a and wanting one last run at a uh, a Super Bowl, which he's not going to win, paying Dak Prescott the money he's going to pay him. Um, what leverage does Ezekiel? Why, why, why you got to take shots? Why you got to take shots at Dak? <laughs> he, he didn't. He didn't do nothing. Nah. Full race up there. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> what what leverage does Zeke have, being that he's two years away from uh, a contract extent, his uh, contract being up? Um, Marshall, would you like to go first? Oh yeah. No, so you can, you can take this one first. Okay, I'll start first. Uh, being that this is the first I've heard of this holdout now, uh, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that I, I'm very pro Zeke. Not outside of football, he's obviously a. a uh, they wouldn't call him a mensch. That wouldn't be the term I'd use to describe him. Um, but that team is, even with that offensive line, that team is so much better with him on the field. Dak is better with him on the field. I think they'll pay him also because there's a sticky little cap spike coming, especially if there's a, a lockout in a year or two, where Dak and these contracts, obviously they'll, they'll be bloated, but they won't be as bad as they seem when they are signed. Um, and I think the foundation, with the, with the way they continually restructure their offensive lineman's contracts, I think Zeke will get, will get a good deal. Maybe not the highest paid running back, but will get a good deal. Um, and they'll be, uh, barring injury, they should be right back to about a 9-10 win team well, Ryan Rosillo, uh, every year. Well, Ryan Rosillo said something uh, this week where he was just like... I, I was going to say, you know, I don't want to talk about your competitors, but Simmons and Rosillo were talking about this uh, on their pod that yeah. came out yesterday. I, I was just going to go, I was about to say that in terms of like the Todd Gurley deal was so outlandish that it's like you can't expect because somebody blows away the market by such an astronomical number and two years ahead of when they have to do it that everybody else is going to expect the same thing. So I, I just don't understand why, you know, the Cowboys need to do anything because he's not going to sit out two years. That's the ultimate thing. He, I was, a lot of the Cowboys uh, writers on Twitter have been talking about this. He, his leverage is, his leverage he has is that the Cowboys want to win the Super Bowl and this is their window. It's probably in the next two to three years. Um, but he loses it because if he doesn't play, then his contract or his rookie service time or whatever it is keeps getting pushed off and he closes his window for his earning potential. So, Ultimately, I don't think he's going to get a girly type deal. I know the Cowboys had offered him something more in the area of like what Bell got, and who's who's the other running back that just signed a fairly 
big contract. Uh, I don't That's know. a great I question. I'm not, I'm not up to date on NFL stuff. I mean, yeah, uh, Devonta Freeman signed on last year. Oh, but, yeah, but that was yeah, a Freeman Simon that that was was kind of in that range. Deal. That was a terrible deal. You know, but they also, oh, I mean, the, the Falcons are in a window too, but the, I think ultimately they will figure out a way to make things work because Jerry tends to get his guy. Um, he's not going to get the girly money. And then ultimately, like, he can sit out this year, but he then he has no options next year. Like, he'll have to play yeah. at some point um, or he'll just never make the money. Uh, just yeah, I mean, the way that the I think contract works. I think it's a smart decision by both of them to come to some kind of a contract agreement where Zeke gets, you know, feels like he gets decent money, and he's playing for them because ultimately he doesn't get touched on the line of scrimmage. And but it is also a product of how good he is once he gets to the hole or whatever their blocking scheme creates for him. And two, it's it's really from the organization standpoint. Let's say they don't pay him, he holds out, and eventually comes to camp on the same deal. He's going to be, there will be some demand for him because teams, teams, there only takes one team to make some kind of splashy move. And, and if he feels like he's not respected there, I could see him being the personality that's like, you know what, I'm, I'm gone, I'm gone after my deal is up. If you franchise me, I'll sit out. Uh, he just seems like a guy who might make more, more, more things more difficult as time goes on with this. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think we can all agree, though, that he's not as good as Saquon Barkley, but whatever. Anyway, guys, uh, I just had to wow. sneak that one we in. we will not agree with that. Uh, it's, it's a fact, but whatever. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to have to reconvene a little bit uh, later. We can uh, talk more about uh, Giants-Cowboys. Um, I probably won't have much to say on that subject. Uh, just I don't know. Daniel Jones I, tore it up tonight in the preseason. Oh, my God. I, I, the Jets' second, second team. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing this now. Anyway, guys, you guys are great as always. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time, and I'll speak to you guys soon. Hey, no problem. The great thing about doing a podcast on the phone is you can do it completely nude. I expected nothing. Have a good else. night, Aaron. Great I'll talking to you. <laughs> All right, thanks again to recurring guests, the uh, the baseball uh, trio, uh, myself uh, with uh, recurring guests Phil Bausk and Moshe Cook. Always a pleasure talking to those guys. And that is episode 52 for the love of the game, Overtime Media. Take us out, Weezy. I lose my mind before I lose my money in a thing but a chicken wing. Chop ball like two eyelids. YMCM beat that Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.